Welcome, ladies and germs, to Is It A Podcast, the podcast that takes a look at a match in wrestling history and determines for you definitively if it is, in fact, a classic. And today, we are reviewing Triple H versus Chris Jericho, last man standing at Fully Loaded 2000. Should be a fun review. I mean, I know it is. We just recorded it, and I think it was fun. Come join us, will you? My name is Chad, and I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, Daniel. More shenanigans coming. Let's go. The biggest match in pro wrestling history. This is not a wrestling match. This is a fight. Well, Find the ladder, kid. Make yourself famous. Are you kidding me? All right, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new edition of Is It a Classic? The podcast that, of course, takes a look at classic, short-lived pay-per-view gimmicks in history. We're talking fully loaded. We're talking one-night stand, you know, getting some EC dub in, didn't last too long, bragging rights. That was dumb. Breaking Point, the all-submission show, if you remember that. Fatal 4-Way, the Fatal 4-Way pay-per-view, if you remember that. Of course, the short-lived, there was Taboo Tuesday uh, with the Let the Fans Vote, which was a short-lived gimmick pay-per-view. And of course, uh, the one that will never come back, it seems like, is uh, Evolution, the all-women's pay-per-view. Ah, I'm surprised it wasn't a great success. Really am. Uh, how about WCW's last days when they were just like, look, we, we don't have any budget. We don't have any, we're just going to do one word. It may make sense. It may not. Like, how about greed? Sin. How about sin? Yeah. I mean, it w- I think it was just going to get so bad that they were just going to start naming them colors. WCW red. WCW dist. Like, it's going to be stuff like that. Yeah. WCW head or something. Like, it was just yeah. whatever word they could pick out of a hat. I, I think we could see the writing on the wall there. And uh, if you'll notice, if you watched the show this week and you watched uh, Fully Loaded, on the old Peacock, there were three fully loadeds, and the first two had a picture of Triple H. He almost made it three for three. Not quite. Mm. Almost. You know, I think that they built fully loaded to be Triple H's signature show, and he did good, but the gimmick just didn't last. But we're not talking just about pay-per-view gimmicks and names. We are going to review a match in wrestling history and use... Science to determine whether or not it is, in fact, a classic match. And today we are reviewing Triple H, as mentioned, versus Chris Jericho in a last man standing match at Fully Loaded 2000, the final of the Fully Loaded. We were already loaded, loaded up enough, never emptied, could no longer need to be fully loaded again. Quick fact. Did you know that in his career, Triple H was in seven last man standing matches? Seven. Can you take a guess how many of them he won? Ah. One? He won two. He went two, three, and two. Two of his last standing matches went to no contests. And in an odd sort of note with this, He had a last man standing match in 2007 against Randy Orton. Then he had a last man standing match in 2008 against 
Randy Orton. And then he had a last man standing match a year later in 2009 against Randy Orton. He had three last man standing matches in consecutive years against Randy Orton. Uh, Clearly the creative juices were flowing around that time. And leave it to old Triple H to be able to get out of uh, doing a clean job. Let's just ramp these gimmicks up. How about a last man standing match, Randy? Huh? Another one of those? Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. In between there, at one point, he had a last man standing match against Big Show uh, Mm. that he he lost. But, uh, yeah, that is a little fact there. Speaking of facts, should we get to headlines? I just... I want to thank each and every one of you for all you've done to your bodies. It's still real to me, damn it! I mean, thank you. All right, I would say, look, we did have a big announcement on AEW, but overall, outside of that, not a lot, I think, happening on the shows this week. So I was curious, you know, what stood out to you this past week in wrestling? Well, I mean, on the AEW side, you did have a big world title match on Rampage, which is, you know, oh, kind yeah. of a novelty. What's that? <laughs> yeah. But it's still, you yeah. know, I think Adam Cole kind of became pretty quickly a lamed up challenger. I don't think anybody held out any hope that he was actually going to win the title. I think he performed well in the match and the match was good, but we've been given a lot of this stuff. The gimmicks are really heavy on AEW right now. I know I lobbied a lot of criticism at at them last week for the size of their roster. And they're also getting to like TNA mid two thousands levels of just like everybody blades, every match is a gimmick. Let's just throw everything at the wall. I really wish they would take a breather and slow down. The stuff is good. It's entertaining, but I just don't think that it's going to pay dividends in the long run, but at least, Hey, Somebody else blades and gets a shirt. Wheeler Yuta, he got, he got a cut on his forehead. By God, we're going to take his picture with the blood on his face, and make a shirt about it. That's what we do. We're AEW. Wait, you mean too many gimmick matches when they had a Texas death match? They had a coffin match on Dynamite, and they announced a ladder match for the following Dynamite? I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I think the same way that you're talking about last man standing matches with Triple H and Randy Orton, you're going to be talking about Texas death matches with Adam Page. He has one a couple of months. Uh, yeah, he does. I mean, I guess they're trying to make that his signature since he's uh, a cowboy, even though he's not Texan in that sense. Um, what else? What else stood out to you on AEW? Well, I mean, they had so much programming this week. They actually had Battle of the Belts, too, which I think just kind of went out with a whimper, except that you had Sammy Guevara win the TNT title for the third time, which is just super odd. He's also the catalyst for Dan Lambert being a mega overface and the men of the year in this interesting face turn that may be happening or the crowd just willing it. So I don't know, just a lot of things up in the air right now. Like I said, it's very interesting and it's fun to watch. I do want to point out that CM Punk and Dustin, the natural roads had a great match. The first 25 minutes of dynamite were pretty great. They did slow it down and kind of do things old school. And I think they did it successfully. And I have to point out my favorite thing in the whole world when it comes to pro wrestling happened in that match. And it's that, Punk attacked the left knee, and he used the right leg to press down on the left knee in the figure four. That's right, my friends. He did the figure four correctly. Very rare. It happened. And that is why CM Punk is our IAC listener of the week. Speaking of listener of the week, I'm going to need you to step up here and tell me why I should be excited about the big announcement that I thought was junk. Because, I mean, you personally, 
I don't know how excited you can get about guys that you have never heard of and don't know and have only watched a match when I force you to watch some Japanese wrestling. But, you know, you've seen Suzuki come in. You'll see Tomohiro Ishii uh, this Friday on Rampage. You're going to get to see some of these guys. Uh, The announcement wasn't done the best, but I think the potential matchups that they could put together could be really great. And I will say for you, you were hesitant about AEW and it ended up being some of the great work and great booking that got you into it. I would say the same thing for the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Knowing you, I think you're going to be a read the results, find out what great matches there were and, and find a way to watch them versus watching it live type of thing. But it has the opportunity to be so like it has the opportunity to be a killer standout show from top to bottom, start to finish. Uh, great work, great. They'll probably have their New Japan style like ten man tags and, and six man tags that they have to kick off the show. But the single top four to five singles matches could be four plus stars, all of them. So here's what I saw: Jay White comes out again. Can't wait to watch him do a roll of the dice. Uh, and get a ton of heat and uh, threw out a bunch of NWO catchphrases that they all stole. And they're like, it's the Bullet Club and the Undisputed Elite where all of these factions are coming together. And then I saw more guys coming in who need TV time to develop storylines that are going nowhere. Why don't you ask Keith Lee how he feels about this or Miro or Christian or uh, I don't know, uh, Tony Storm. Why don't we ask all these people that just got signed and they have literally nothing to do? How do they feel about the Forbidden Door? This is great. I bet it makes a ton of cash. It's going to make a ton of cash. And I bet they feel it's great not, that they're making not in a America. ton of cash. It's going to make it's got, nothing oh, it's, in America. It's going to do well. It's going to do well. What's your over-under on buys for that show? 100000 That's the, the, the AEW standard. That's what they'll do. So you think if it gets 100,000 buys, it's not a lot of cash. It doesn't. It's yeah, let me grab success. casual and new, new audiences by flying across the pond and being like, Hey man, you may have time to watch wrestling in your spare time. How about these Japanese guys? You want to do that? that? I don't believe that the purpose of this show is to get casual fans into the show. I believe the purpose of this is to grab some crossover who may like new Japan or watch new Japan, not really watch AEW present some great matches to feature some of these people. And also, yes, there is some like, get you familiar with who these guys are on the AEW scene in case they come into AEW or into Ring of Honor. Yes, still a bloated roster. All the criticisms that you had are still there, but I do think the show is going to make some money and be a success. And if your goal as a business is to have successful shows, well, kudos to AEW if they come in and get 100,000 buys or, or more. I get it. And, you know, to not sound like too much of an old man, I think if you're a hardcore wrestling fan, this is going to be a lot of fun. I think, um, you know, especially if you follow New Japan, you're super excited. Um, I just don't think that there is a hardcore wrestling fan base who watches one and not the other already. So it is good fan service for them. But I do believe that we have way more than enough people on the roster and so much going on anyway that AEW could be making money and making better use of their stars and planting seeds for future stars to keep the company afloat and make money. And this just isn't a great time to do this. I don't think anyone was really clamoring for this. And I just think that there's a whole lot of talent being derailed um, to go ahead and do this now. But hopefully they prove me wrong and hopefully, you know, it's a lot of fun and the matches are great. I I mean, we'll... 
we'll see how it goes. I mean, they could they could book it well, or they could overrun the TV with Japanese Japanese stars. It could be one or the other. It's only that you these stars won't be around for all that long. They will probably be doing their thing in Japan. There's just not enough room for this to continue on. But if it's a yearly thing, you know, hey, maybe that's pretty cool. Maybe that's a good change of pace. Comes at a bad time, in my opinion. But so does the cookie cutter booking of WWE, and we still have to watch it for five hours a week, right? Yeah, I will say also, before we get to the WWE, that if it's something like this Friday where Adam Cole uh, faces Tomohiro Ishii and Cole beats somebody who's not in AEW and puts them down and like beats a a somewhat name in, in Japan and he advances into the tournament because of that, that's actually not a bad use of this Japanese guy. Take somebody who has a little, a little bit of star power, have the AEW guy beat him who's not beating an AEW guy who wants screen time, like he's not beating a Max Caster who's been whipped up by everybody every time he gets on screen type of thing, and let him get a semi-decent win. You could potentially showcase the New Japan talent. Uh, and again, you're not sacrificing anybody from AEW unless you'd rather like Adam Cole beat Miro. You know what I mean, or Lance Archer, or something. You know, you. Mm. I, I still like agree. a whole lot of work it, and ends very, up being kind very, of like a wash. I mean, I do agree that there's very much like there are 15 guys that we have on the show every week, which means that the other 60 guys have to sort of find a place once every three or four weeks. You know what I mean? Like the Andrade Darby Coffin match, you know, was a fun match, but. There was very little build. Like there was pockets of build. There wasn't a straight build to the match. It was like here at the pay per view, we'll do the six man, and then a couple of weeks later, we'll do this thing, and then a few weeks later, we'll do this thing, and then a few weeks later, we'll do the coffin match. And that doesn't build excitement like it should. Um, but we'll see. Well, I've been accused of being salty last week uh, and guilty. Yeah, this uh, I forgot to mention that we are sponsored by Morton, so I appreciate you uh, getting that sponsorship for us there, Danny. Yeah, um, iodized. <laughs> all right, uh, WWE. Uh, what what stood out to you on the on the Fed? Well, you know, I mean, there was some pretty fun stuff. Kevin Owens is slaying it, but it's just in sort of storylines that are just kind of silly. So I don't think a lot of like heavy hitting stuff is really happening. We're heading to WrestleMania Backlash. A bunch of rematches if you didn't watch smackdown though you did watch poor you missed poor drew gulak uh you know already being transitioned over into an announcer role and then he gets absolutely starched by charlotte flair taps yells i quit uh in intergender you know it's believable enough i mean if charlotte put me in the figure eight and squeezed down on it i would probably yell i quit also but hopefully i'm not drew gulak and have any aspirations of being a professional wrestler from then on so it's compelling in a way that it's almost like a car crash but that was pretty crazy um i would say the good stuff that's going on is we're watching some people have some fun i mean ezekiel's having fun randy orton is having probably the most fun of his career he cut a promo on smackdown that was so intense. I mean, the guy was turning purple and veins were popping out of his neck. And I mean, he's just having a blast. Yeah. And he flew into the ring before the ref could count. Yeah. And it had to be pushed away. Orton, uh, not following any rules right now. So you got to love that. I guess if I were going to get your thoughts on one thing, it's that we have unified the world heavyweight championships. Now the universal title and the WWE title. And it looks like they're heading towards the unifying the tag titles as well. Do you think that they should just go ahead and do that with the mid-card title also, and we have less titles, and if we're going to cross people over, it's for the belts? 
You know, I mean, I tend to like that idea in theory. I was just wondering if you think that's where we're actually heading and, you know, what you think of it, especially now that we've seen this kind of start and stop before in the WWE. I like that idea in theory, but the issue is that the WWE has the opposite problem of AEW where they don't have enough established stars. And so whereas AEW, you can't get the characters you want on screen on WWE, you can't get the characters that you want over because, and you can't get the characters that you have over because you're doing 50, 50 booking in the same match over and over and over and over and over and over again. So no one can come in and really, and really be big. Like again, the, the story came out that Alexa bliss is upset at her character direction. And she's listed as the number two woman face on the raw brand. And she hasn't been on it except for those dumb videos leading up to elimination chamber. So how does she even get a chance to get on the show? If you've got, if you're back to the parade of people back and forth. So uh, I, I don't care what they do. I just don't have faith in them booking it and making those things feel important because you've got your unified world champion who right now is not on the next pay-per-view because partially because you have no challengers built for him because of all of this that you're doing. And so way to make the, the unified world title feel really important. Yeah. I mean, the WWE is pulling a walking dead. They're like, Hey, I'll wake you up when it's the mid season finale or the season finale and possibly the opener. Otherwise, Hey, the show's on you watch if you want. Yeah, that's about it. And it shouldn't be like that. At least, you know, AEW, they'll sprinkle in the video packages. You've got the people you want to see these people. AEW, you're like, God, I can't wait to see these people that I haven't seen. WWE, you're like, God, I am seeing these people way too much. And they are just not getting, they're not moving forward at all. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. So, sure, unify the tag titles. Put the Usos on both shows. You know, I think and then to- challengers go on both shows. And like, why do we have a brand split anymore? I agree. Sorry to cut you off there for a second. I think we can let Tony Schiavone sum up our fatigue pretty well. It's wrestling. We love it. But once again, when Sting leapt off a barricade onto some people down through the crowd, Schiavone just yells, what is wrong with this guy? And it's just perfect. It's like, I love it, but God, it keeps happening. As long as they space it apart, the Sting pulling off the Sting mask to be Sting will not never not be funny. Yeah, he's got a pretty deep bag of tricks, it seems. And he's 63 doing all this. Good God. What right. is wrong with that guy? What is wrong with that guy? Let's get to our main event. Let's go to ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. All right. We are talking, as mentioned at the top of the show, Triple H versus... Chris Jericho at fully loaded 2000 in a last man standing match. And we are going to determine for you definitively via science, whether or not it is in fact a classic. And the way that we are going to do that is by taking a look and reviewing five categories in that match and assigning those five categories between zero and one star. If a match gets at least four stars between me and Danny, then it is eligible to be a classic. What are those categories? You may be asking, well, hell, I wouldn't be a good host if I didn't answer that for you. The first category is storytelling. Did the match tell a good story from start to finish? Was it the same story? Did it stay in the same book? Did it not deviate from that story? Number two is atmosphere. 
Did you feel the emotion? Did you feel it in your loins? Did it come across the screen? How was how were the announcers? How was the heat of the crowd? How did it feel? Did it feel good? Number three is execution. How are the moves executed? Were they crisp? Were they clean? Were there any botches? Was there anything that they did that took you out of the match with the way that they executed it? Number four is Larry, can I finish? How was the finish of the match? Was it at the right time? Did it have the right impact that you wanted it to have, the right TNA impact? Did it come at the right time? Did it hit hard? Did it make sense? Did it fit into the story? And finally, the fifth one is significance. Did this match hold a significant place in wrestling history? Did it do something different that no match had ever done before? Does it live in wrestling lore for a specific reason? Does it have significance? We will be going through what happened in the match. We will review the match and go through these categories. But we will first be taking a trip down memory lane to talk about what led into this match. And we have the great wrestling researcher here on our pod. You may think it's a Mike Tanay. You may think it's a Mike Johnson. You may think it's a Dave Meltzer. No! Uh-uh! It's your boy, Danny. Danny, hit him with that hot sauce. Danny! Sauce him up! Danny! You want some sauce? You got it. This is our 41st match that we're going to officially review. And like we said, it's Last Man Standing, which you can directly attribute to Triple H with the huge explosion of the amount of Last Man Standing matches happened because I found out that this is actually the second ever Last Man Standing match in WWE, the first one having been Rock and Foley in 1999. So... The next decade, there'd be a shit ton of last man standing matches, starting with the second one right here. And I want to tell you, so hold on, I just got some Metro PCS minutes, and I'm coming back in because what you said earlier was Triple H. You know, he hit me with a damn car. He masterminded me getting hit by a damn car. So I gave him a kick, wham, stunner, and I kicked his ass off the promotional poster for this pay-per-view. So I hope you like that, Triple H. Suck on them apples. Now I'm running out of minutes. I'll see you guys later. And that's the bottom line. Oh, well, Steve, Steve, Steve. Oh, fuck. I mean, who pays for one minute of Metro PCS? Who says they paid for minutes and it's like one minute? Ah, that he's he is he is like a ghost in the wind. I don't know, but I, I like it. I like it. I liked it a lot. Anyway, I'll try to get back on the rails here. This is Triple H and Jericho, WWF fully loaded, the third and final, last ever fully loaded pay per view. It took place at the Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas a little close to someone we know here on the show, and it was on July 23rd, 2000. There were about 16,504 fans in attendance, and they wanted to watch a 29-year-old Chris Jericho take on a 30-year-old Triple H who's going to turn 31 in about four days from this show. Man, this is quintessential 2000 WWF storyline booking here. We've got Triple H having just lost his fourth WWF title, this time to The Rock, and that was at the previous month's pay-per-view, King of the Ring. All during this time, we've got the McMahon-Helmsley faction running dominant on the shows. But things kind of come to an abrupt end for their happy train once Vince, Shane, and Hunter get booked in a six-man tag for the title against The Rock, The Undertaker, and Kane. Boy, I wonder who won that match. Yep, it was The Rock by pinning Shane McMahon because the stipulation that Linda McMahon made was that anyone on that lopsided team, if they pinned any of the McMahons or Triple H, they would become the champion. So The Rock becomes your champion by beating Shane McMahon. And Triple H, boy, he's got a lot of irons in the fire at this time. Early 2000, he starts dubbing himself the game. He's probably in the middle of the biggest and best run of his career, certainly at that point. 
But Heavy sits that crown because he's battling things on all sides. You got Linda McMahon, like I mentioned, working against him. She's tired of seeing the abuse of power by her husband and her children. We've also got the emergence now of Commissioner Mick Foley, who's obviously one of Hunter's most prolific rivals. Add to this, we've got a developing love triangle between Hunter's wife, Stephanie, and Kurt Angle. And then Triple H actually lost his belt before this to Jericho back on Raw in April. And he had to move heaven and earth to get that overturned and make sure that that title switch did not happen. So... Of course, like I mentioned, he mentioned he he mentioned that he didn't like losing to The Rock. He's not the WWF champion anymore, and old Trips is uh, in a tight spot. Jericho, on the other hand, he's on the brink of a breakout. He's had a tumultuous first year in the WWF. He started out so hot, but then he kind of transitioned into more of a hot water situation. He was struggling to fit in to the WWF mold and develop a relationship with ownership and talent kind of behind the scenes. Many people attribute this to the legendary Vince McMahon wanting to break new talent down that come in from somewhere else and rebuild them in his own image. But we also know that this can be attributed to a sideways backstage relationship between Jericho and Triple H. So while Jericho had been featured over the last few months in a feud over the IC title with Chris Benoit, his chance at a real meaningful storyline at the top of the card seemed to be kind of a fever dream until he got that fateful Raw win in April. And he shockingly snatched that WWF title from Triple H. Even though he didn't get to keep it for more than an hour, you couldn't deny the response to that win. And Jericho's, you know, kind of resurgence started from here because it couldn't be denied. That reception was huge. So he fails to win the King of the Ring tournament that year. But on that pay-per-view, he finds himself in a quarterfinals match with Kurt Angle and Stephanie McMahon is in there as well because she's acting as Kurt Angle's manager. As I mentioned, this is a love triangle that's brewing, and Chris is going to get involved in it because he plants a big kiss on Stephanie during that match when Stephanie gets involved. And so now Triple H has drawn the ire of Stephanie, and he's going to have to deal with her and that heel DX stable uh, that was pretty much X-Pac and Road Dog following Triple H around. Jericho ends up interfering in the main event of Raw after King of the Ring. He helps The Rock pin Triple H to kill Triple H's chances at being the number one contender for the title. And Jericho and Triple H start off in like six-man tags opposite each other. Jericho starts getting involved in Triple H matches. He gets involved in one with Rikishi, causing Triple H to be on the receiving end of a stink face. Then he causes Triple H to actually be pinned by the Brooklyn Brawler, which doesn't work out so well for the Brooklyn Brawler. Poor Steve Lombardi gets a bloody beatdown afterwards. But Jericho starts his whole infamous running down of Stephanie, calling her a bottom-feeding trash bag hoe and the like, and starts garnering pretty good reactions from the crowd. But obviously, Hunter's going to be chomping at the bit for some for some revenge. So uh, Foley ends up mi- booking this match at the pay-per-view to let them finally get it on. So Jericho, he continues causing tension between DX, and he's running roughshod, getting the upper hand anytime there's any kind of confrontation, being kind of one step ahead of Triple H, until DX traps Jericho by feigning some tension between the two and setting up a match between X-Pac and Triple H. Jericho comes down to interfere and ends up getting confronted and beaten down 3-1 to one with a sledgehammer by DX. This is where he takes shots to the body end of the head, and he ends up leaving in a bloody mess and stretchered out. So while he's recovering, though, things between Angle and Triple H continue to worsen. Foley ends up making this match a last man standing stipulation for Jericho so he can get his revenge. Then Jericho returns to Raw a week later to kind of close the go-home show. He viciously attacks Hunter, and then finally on the last show before the pay-per-view, a SmackDown, 
he ends up getting the upper hand and he has Hunter in the walls of Jericho to close the show. So, like I said, it's your basic booking in the year 2000, but we got the love triangle. We got Jericho trying to break down glass walls. We got Triple H and Stephanie running wild in their infancy. And this is just 2000 WWF to a T. So let's see if that real life heat between Triple H and Jericho can create some IAC magic. I mean, you brought the sauce. I asked for the sauce. You like the sauce. You gave me more sauce here. Uh, what was interesting to me in the video package, they did make it very clear that Triple H didn't necessarily want just Jericho. He wanted a specific part of Jericho. I want Jericho. I want his ass. Chris Jericho has been a thorn in Triple H's side as of late. I want Chris Jericho's ass. I want Jericho's ass. So he's going to get Jericho's ass here at Fully Loaded 2000 in DTX. Uh, out first is... Triple H, uh, it, it's his time, uh, a theme that I haven't heard in forever. Uh, he had not yet switched the time to play the game. It was my time. He comes out with WWF women's champion, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley at that point in time. It was so weird for me to see the water spit with the old theme. It's just been so long since I've seen that. But, I mean, perfectly timed as always. Then we get the... Y2J countdown with Y2J on it and it counting down. You know, I got gotcha, you, which uh, I was also wondering, what does that mean in a wrestling match? Like, you know, I understand you. You know, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I'll break the walls down. You know, you've been asking me to break these walls down. I got gotcha. I have your back. You know, I got gotcha. you. Anywho, out comes Jericho. He's got his ribs taped. We see an announce table. The Spanish announce table is already broken from an earlier match, so we know no one's going through that table in this match. So as Jericho's walking to the ring, he rolls in, and a brawl immediately starts, and the bell immediately rings, which I like because they were having a blood feud, and they just started punching each other. And Jericho gets the advantage, and he's stomping a mud hole in Triple H in the corner. They fight to the outside. They fight to the inside. Back and forth and back and forth. Jericho does a springboard drop kick to Triple H, who's on the apron. Triple H gets a knee to the face, the sort of knee to face buster that he does inside the ring. Eventually, Triple H takes control by dropping Jericho's busted, dropping Jericho busted ribs first on the barricade on the outside, and then busted ribs first onto the steps on the outside. He continues to work on Jericho's ribs methodically on the inside back on the outside, again, back and forth, slows it down a little bit to put some work into those ribs, including attempting to rip the rib, the tape around his ribs, which he doesn't do fully. Uh, we get our first attempted 10 count on the outside after Triple H suplexes Jericho onto the concrete floor of the ramp, not onto the mat, but onto the floor of the ramp as well. Before Jericho can get up, though, uh, he picks Jericho up and throws him into the ring, which I thought was dumb because the ref was counting him down. But whatever. He wanted to add some more punishment. So to add more punishment, to keep it going in this last man standing match, Triple H, after the suplex on the concrete, throws Jericho in the ring and locks in a devastating abdominal stretch. He tells the ref, ask him which the ref explains at the last man standing match, so it doesn't matter if he asks him or not. Triple H then, after a couple of minutes, grabs the ropes for leverage. The ref kicks his arm, and Jericho uses that momentum to turn it into an arm drag. 
Jericho gets a spinning heel kick, which takes H down. He goes for a line, salt off the ropes, but Triple H gets his knees up. Triple H then picks him up, hits a quick DDT, and asks for a second 10 count, our second 10 count of the match. Jericho does get up, and Triple H decides now it's time to hit him with the devastating, debilitating sleeper hold. I mean, I get the logic here with these holds. Uh, he does do a good job that at least when he grabs Jericho in the sleeper, he pulls him down and adds a body scissors, which I don't know that I've ever seen Triple H do, which was great. And what I did also like is that uh, the ref checked Jericho's arm. Jericho's arm went, went limp. So Triple H lets him go so the ref can count. All of that made sense. It was just funny to see an abdominal stretch and a sleeper hold in these devastating last man standing matches. Jericho does get up at nine. And Triple H starts unloading on him with some right hands as Jericho is taunting him. He'll hit Jericho. Jericho will taunt, bring it on. He'll hit Jericho. Jericho will chop, uh, crotch chop him, which Triple H doesn't like this. So he just grabs Jericho and hits a pedigree. All right. The rest starts to count again. Triple H knows it's over, so he goes to lay on the top turnbuckle. Uh, as Jericho does start to rummage and is about to get up at like seven or eight as he's getting up, which he'll eventually do at nine triple H decides to go outside and grab a steel chair, knowing that he wants to finish Jericho for good. He sets the chair on the mat and he sets Jericho up for a pedigree on the chair. But for some reason, referee Mike Kyoto gets in the way and is pushing triple H for whatever reason. Don't know why in this no DQ last man standing match. So triple H pushes the ref off. Jericho hits a low blow, gets the chair, and it's a hard chair shot to Triple H's head right on the skull. Triple H tried to get his hand up, was not successful, and it was a hard shot. Uh, Triple H did get busted open heavy from this, uh, which is where we do get one of those iconic bloody Triple H camera shots that you would see for, for a long time came from this match. Now both men are up. They start brawling. Jericho gets the best of it. Jericho starts taking it to Triple H. He whips Triple H into the turnbuckle, comes off the rope, and hits his sort of one-arm bulldog to Triple H, but slams his head on the chair. The ref starts to count again, but Jericho won't let him finish. Dumb. He gets Triple H up. He whips Triple H into the corner, who does his flop over the top to the outside. Jericho rolls outside. He starts pursuing and escaping Triple H, but gets caught and whipped into the steps for his trouble. Triple H then goes for a pedigree on those steps, but Jericho reverses it with a back body drop onto the floor. They're both down. They both start crawling for the upright announce table, the English announce table. Triple H grabs one of the monitors. Jericho grabs another monitor. They run at each other. They double KO each other with those monitors. The rest starts to count. He gets all the way up to eight, and they start to stir. And at nine, both Triple H and Jericho roll into the ring. Triple H boots Jericho in the gut. Goes for a pedigree, but Jericho quickly turns into the walls of Jericho. Triple H is tapping out, and the crowd is going nuts. Triple H is flailing. He doesn't know what to do. He tries to make it to the ropes. He's in this for a good bit of time. He makes it to the ropes, but Jericho's not going to break it. No DQs, last man standing match. Triple H grabs the bottom rope. He grabs the middle rope for some leverage, and Jericho's really, really cranking on him. Well, uh, uh, phrasing? Uh, well, Stephanie McMahon gets in the ring, grabs Jericho's hair, and pulls him off of Triple H. Well, Jericho and 
Stephanie are looking at each other. Stephanie goes to slap him, but Jericho blocks it and puts her in the wall to Jericho. Triple H gets up very quickly. Let me reiterate, very quickly from being in this walls of Jericho for so long. Knocks Jericho down to the outside and then whips him into the barricade. As Jericho is selling, H goes under the ring and it's sledgehammer time. He goes to swing at Jericho, but Jericho ducks and the sledgehammer dings the ring post pretty hard, making a lo- making a loud sound, letting you know this ain't no fake shit. This is a real sledgehammer. Jericho then monkey flips Triple H in the ring post for his troubles and nails him in the stomach with that sledgehammer. Triple H takes that bump and flops onto the announce table. Well, the timekeeper's table is right there by the announce table, which, like, I mean, not in its own little section, literally right next to it. So Jericho is going to climb up and he's going to do his own moonsault onto Triple H onto that announce table. But H sees it coming. He low blows Jericho. He grabs him and he delivers this like jumping side suplex through Jericho and through the table. Both men are down and the ref is counting again. Six. Seven. Triple H is starting to stir. Eight. Triple H is spaghetti leg, but he's pulling himself up. Nine. Triple H is standing. Jericho is still down. Ten. The ref counts ten. Triple H immediately collapses, but that was enough to get the victory. And Triple H wins this last man standing match. One of two of his career. 23 minutes, one of your early last man standing efforts. Pretty interesting stuff. I think they had a pretty heated rivalry backstage and on camera here, so I thought they did a good job of getting it on. Well, speaking of doing a good job of getting it on, let's start with storytelling. And uh, you're going to kick us off here. What did you give storytelling? I loved it. Um, Earlier, this is when anything Triple H and Stephanie would just pepper every show. They would be in six, seven backstage segments before their actual match. And this pay-per-view was no different. They did a thing before the show, I mean, before their match, where a whole bunch of flowers kept getting delivered to their locker room, and Stephanie was assuming it was Triple H. But then finally, when they read the cards, it said they were coming from Kurt Angle. So Triple H goes to confront Kurt Angle in his locker room. But it was Chris Jericho in there, and Chris Jericho kind of beat him down before their match. So it made total sense that when the match began, they would just get right after it. Triple H was pissed, comes right after Jericho. They start brawling right off the bat. Jericho's wearing rib tape. Triple H is all over it. He's doing that cerebral assassin character that he was dubbed. So his psychology was strong. I felt like you know, they had Jericho be the house of fire until Triple H took things over with the body work. And then... You know, the last man standing stipulation worked really well for me. As you pointed out, some of the submissions were kind of rudimentary, but even all the way through the finish, it was like, it just seemed like they were working a match, working hard to get the win. And instead of just like doing big gimmick spots the whole time and laying around, they had an actual match that just happened to have this stipulation and was allowed to take it a little further than a regular match would want to go. Um, you know, I just loved the pacing. I thought the story just worked the whole time. You wanted to see Stephanie get hers because she kept attacking Jericho during the match. She finally does. Jericho ends up getting a sledgehammer shot to the body of Triple H at the end, so he sort of gets him back, you know, as far as, you know, plus he got the chair shot to bust him open. So he got all of his revenge or at least went tit for tat with everything that Triple H did into the storyline build up to the match. And then, you know, we get to the finish 
and it was a razor thin margin win. So I think it's everything you could ask for in storytelling and it is classic level to me. I say it's one star. Wow. I feel like not you and I watch different matches, but you and I critique this match very differently. Uh, I was teetering between a half star and three quarter stars. Um, I thought we were going to be in this boat where you're praising it. And then I, I diss it, but we give it the same rating as we do sometimes. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the stuff that you mentioned, but there was too much from a storytelling standpoint that took it away from me. I thought that them getting each other up when the ref was counting, you know, sort of got me out of it. I thought that the, uh, the, I, re- I really didn't like, and I'm surprised unless you're taking it out elsewhere, triple H getting up after that walls of Jericho so quickly, like that really, man, that soured me for the rest of it. And Jericho, yes, triple H worked on the ribs. Jericho didn't sell his ribs, you know, outside of the actual being beaten down very much. There wasn't a lot of like, it hurt to do moves or it hurt to do this or that. He was just doing his thing, which I think today he would have done that differently. And so I missed some of that there. Uh, I thought that Mike Kyoto, you know, pushing Triple H off when he's trying to deliver a pedigree on the chair was was a weird way to get to the tr- the Jericho low blow, especially when a low blow wasn't a DQ in this match. I thought that was a weird spot. There was a few weird things that just, I was like, this just doesn't, it didn't get it to classic level for me. It wasn't bad because there was enough good there, like you said, of the immediate brawling and Stephanie getting involved and, and blah, 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 blah. But man, there was no way I was going to give it classic level. And I was teetering because of, I was trying to figure out how much of those things just pissed me off specifically or how much of those things, you know, were uh, were a uh, example of where the match could have been better. So I landed on three quarters of a star because I thought there definitely was some room for improvement and some things that just uh, didn't make it classic level. So uh, I almost went a half star, but I didn't think it was that bad, but uh, I went three quarters of a star. Well, I can certainly see a lot of your points. I think some of that falls into execution for me, like especially on the Kyoto front, because I agree with that. I think Jericho's offense being not, you know, he wasn't doing suplexes and he wasn't trying to lift Triple H hardly at all, if ever. So I think his selling of the ribs was good enough throughout. And then the fact that he lost um, to a back suplex um, through the tape, you know, it's just his injuries did kind of mount up and go to the finish. So I thought that his, you know, his psychology was pretty sound. I'll agree with you that Triple H got up a little too fast with the, from the walls, but Jericho didn't do any leg work and he only had it in him once. So it hurt really bad. It's an intense hold, but I didn't think he had it in him that long on him that long. And who's to say that when you climb to the second rope, it's not completely alleviated. He, he had a, he had enough to get Triple H to tap out and Triple H scream in pain as he's climbing towards the ropes and getting pulled back in the middle. Also, the other thing I didn't like, this is necessarily a, story, a storytelling thing. It's just more so a personal thing that Jericho's the face here and he got his ass beat for 70% of this match. It was basically Triple H. If the opening was Jericho getting it, then it was Triple H beating his ass most of the time with of the Jericho ribs. having to get that low blow to get in. He, it, it wasn't the ribs that didn't that that it it wasn't the ribs that uh that did it fully but anyways all right got to move on atmosphere same thing here atmosphere i was teetering between a half and three quarter stars i thought the announcing was fine um i thought that the crowd was fine uh there wasn't anything that like took me away from it or like was disgusting but i don't know how much it it sort of leveled me up so I was teetering between the two. Ultimately, 
Um, I think the reason why I landed on three quarters of a star again, as opposed to a half star was that um, it was above average. <laughs> I mean, it was average. To, it was, it was thumbs in the middle, slightly leaning up as opposed to just thumbs in the middle. So I don't know what other better way to describe it. Cause I don't have a lot of examples of, of where that was, except for like, the crowd wasn't sitting on their hands. The announcers did show some emotion and continue to tell the story. There weren't many, there weren't necessarily great calls, that many great calls in the match. And the crowd didn't like heighten the match and bring it to a higher level. They just were really good. So three quarters of a star for me. I agree. The crowd was really, really good throughout. I think that's just, you know, a testament to both guys and how over they were at the time. This is Jr. and King in their prime. Uh, There were some funny one liners in there, but I felt like King, made too many of those and he would sort of get in JR's way. I think JR was really trying to sink his teeth into the story and build that up, but he would keep having to kind of like banner back and forth with Jerry and what Jerry would say would be funny, but it does kind of take away. Don't you think I know that Jerry? Anyway, I'm with you. It's three quarter stars. I thought the crowd was really, really good and they were hot throughout the the competitors had them eaten out of their hand and Jim gave a really great effort. It was just something was missing and there wasn't a big fight feel, you know, they had to get right to it. There wasn't building a lot of anticipation. It was good and bad, but it did take away from the atmosphere. I still thought it was above average and very good. So three quarter star for me. What about execution? Man, this is Triple H and his prime. Their pace was high. I thought it was great. I thought their execution of the moves was wonderful. I did think Mike Kyoto was really like, y- you hate to factor in the ref, but he did get involved enough. You know, him breaking up, you know, getting involved and trying to make Triple H stop doing the pedigree. It did make sense, you know, Triple H grabbing the ropes that Mike would want to stop him from grabbing the ropes, but this is last man standing. There's no DQs. So what are you doing? It also made me mad that Kyoto kept yelling in Triple H's face that it doesn't matter. He's not going to submit. Triple H then made Kyoto look like an idiot by choking Jericho out in a rear naked choke. So then standing up and seeing if he'd lay there, it would make perfect sense that you might want to incapacitate your opponent enough to where they couldn't stand up. That would be last man standing. So I don't care if you're putting on a figure four, the walls of Jericho or anything, locking on submission for a long time makes perfect sense. And Kyoto would basically be yelling at them to like, why are you doing a submission at all? So I thought that took away from a lot, and I put that on the execution of the competitors and everybody involved in the match. That being said, I think that Triple H had a lot of fire, and so did Jericho as a babyface. I loved Jericho's facials. I feel like they were very underrated in this match. He was really selling, uh, being deluge, you know, kind of delirious because he took a hell of a beatdown. Triple H's blade job was fantastic, and then choice. Stephanie was just great. Yeah, it was a choice blade job. So you know, there's some things I didn't like about it. But I thought overall it was very good. So I give it three-quarter star. Uh, again, I was teetering between a half and three-quarters for all the things I mentioned, storyline, storytelling, everything that you mentioned as well. I want to add, Kyoto was inconsistent because, again, kicking Triple H. But then Jericho, Triple H gets to the ropes and Jericho won't break the hold and he doesn't care about that. He's just like, hey, what do you say? Hey, what do you say? You know, uh, that type of thing. That wasn't Kyoto who did that, but Kyoto did that anyways. Uh, I don't have much more to add other than that, um, that it just wasn't classic level. And I thought still leaned on, on three quarters of a star, maybe I'm being generous in every category, but uh, it was still, ultimately I did look at it and go, spoiler alert for the overall thoughts. Did I have fun with the match and did I enjoy watching it? The answer was yes. So I'm not, I don't want to be too, uh, there weren't a lot of nits to pick and we're picking all the nits, which is what takes something down from classic level to, to slightly below it. 
Which, speaking of, to the finish, I also gave the finish three quarters of a star. I thought that the the way that that weird jumping back suplex was delivered was a little odd. I think it would have been more effective if it was the low blow into like the pedigree on the table. That sort of, I understand the the ribs piece of it, but we didn't get that sell. We didn't get enough selling from Jericho throughout the match. They had a tough time with his ribs to lead to a rib finish. Also, it all stemmed from uh, Triple H getting up very quickly after the walls of Jericho. So that was the kickoff to sort of the finishing sequence, which I didn't like. So um, I teetered between a half star and three quarters of a star. And guess what I gave it? Three quarters of a star. So uh, it still was early in last man standing days. It was also the year 2000. In the year 2000. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, they weren't going to do that big try and one-up the last last man standing match, all that jazz that happened. So, anywho, three quarters of a star for finish. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Tell me I'm right. Well, I was teetering as well, but I decided to not be generous like you were. I hate this finish. It's not the worst in the world, but I give it a half a star. It was clean. It was believable. It did help Jericho. You know, you put over the stipulation was cool. It played into the stipulation. You know, the heel gets up at the last second. That's great. That's why it gets a half a star. But Jericho, you know, it's a back suplex. Jericho, you know, the, the timekeeper's table does not go there. It was never there. And all of a sudden, for you know, they obviously set this up just for that. And that's what this felt like to me. It felt like they had this planned finish. And then it looks like they cut about five minutes out of the last act of the match and just went ahead to this finish. Uh, it just doesn't do anything for me, but it's not that it didn't make sense or that it was awful. I just, I think it took away from the match and it could have been a lot better. So it's a half star for me. All right. What do you give significance? I'm a little more um, lenient and generous on this category. I give significance three quarter stars and you're going to say, well, why? Number one, this is remembered as a great match. It's remembered as a great match because certainly at the time it was. This was a triple main event in this pay-per-view, and one of the participants in this triple main event was Chris Jericho. This match and all throughout this feud was Chris Jericho finally getting a vote of confidence and finally being put in a good spot in the company. So this was the kicking off point. He was made to look great in this match. It was made to look, you know, Hunter had to hit a low blow and get up at the last second to beat him. And I know we would have loved to see Jericho win every match against Triple H and the internet darling Jericho never lose. But this was a necessary evil considering where two guys were going. But this is a jumping off point for Triple H and continuing to build that cerebral assassin game character. He couldn't do the loss here because he's heading into a title program at SummerSlam. But more importantly, this is one of the biggest matches of Jericho's career. He's well-documented in saying that he was Vince McMahon basically was threatening him with his job, that if he didn't get it together, if he wasn't able to mold more to the style and work more in the image that Vince wanted, that Jericho was done. Some people say that's bullshit. That was just Vince, you know, testing him. But this was the test for Jericho, and he passed it. I think the match is great. It's an early last man standing match, Um, you know, close to something really special. But um, I think just very, very significant for both men's careers and where they were headed. And so I give it three-quarter star. I give it a half star. I see where you're coming from. I think from a Chris Jericho standpoint, yes, it was one of the, if maybe the biggest match of his career. Although I would argue what cat, the match that catapulted catapulted him higher versus triple H 
uh, more than this match was the raw match that you referenced where he got the title for a quick second and that that um the crowd went ape shit for i think that was probably a bigger match in chris jericho's career than this specific one was this was the follow-up to that um and you know from here it took chris jericho about another year before he got into the title picture he's he went back to like IC title and feuding with X-Pac and he feuded with William Regal for a little while. And then he eventually got that him and Benoit with the two man power trip versus Austin and triple H after the Austin turn, which sort of, which sort of, that's what ended up solidifying him and kept him in the main event the, the whole time. So I do think that there is something there. Obviously triple H had better matches and more memorable matches in the year 2000 by itself. Um, foreshadowing and i think that there's it was a, it's remembered as a really good match in both men's career so that does give it some significance but ultimately i couldn't go higher than a half star so i, I really the, really like that I, I think upon further review i probably need to back it back off to a half all officially right. i'll do it you've swayed me that's half a star significance this is probably like when Jericho officially steps out of hot water, which is a big deal, but that's way too much context for this to actually be, you know, Bailey Sasha level significance that I wouldn't give a full star. Correct. So overall, look, this is a fun match. This is a good match of both men's career. It is, it was really fun revisiting the year 2000 with, with the year that triple H had, and he was on this long run of great matches. And this is another one that was, that was in it through our science. I ended up at three and a half stars, um, which, you know, through our science means it's a really, it is a really fun match and it's entertaining and it's worth going out of your way to see for all the reasons that we've mentioned. I do think that, that the triple H blade job was classic level and the getting up at second 10 and like collapsing again, that was a really interesting way to do a last man standing finish that I hope somebody steals and does again as two people like collapse through something and one barely gets up. And then collapses again. Uh, I enjoyed that. Ultimately, I'm three and a half stars. But this was not my choice. It was your choice, sir. So that means it's incumbent incumbent upon you to make the official decision. So with that, I ask you, Triple H versus Chris Jericho, last man standing at fully loaded 2000. Is it a classic? Man, I think you said it best. You know, this match does have a legacy but not necessarily a lasting legacy i thought the finish was kind of flat but the match was really fun this was a great time in triple h and jericho's career they were headed obviously to hall of fame heights this match is fun but you and i i think we both really struggled on like half star three quarter stars for almost anything i was maybe a too generous at times maybe you were too generous at times but we land around three and a half stars being generous so unfortunately there is no way that this match is a classic. It is not a classic. <laughs> Did you see that, Raj? <laughs> How do you find that? What's the humor in that? How is that funny? Oh, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. Sick freak. (laughs) 
And there you have it. We couldn't get there with this match, but that is okay. Uh, you know, you can't have classic matches without having not classic matches. That's what my mom has always said. So uh, thank y'all very much for joining us on this episode. We do have another episode coming up next week, and we do have to have a match for it. It is incumbent upon me to do that. So I watched this match. This match was born from Triple H's retirement, leaving his boots in the ring and really thinking about a great Triple H match, and we didn't get a classic. So I want to get a classic, and I want to stick around this time where Triple H may have been doing the best wrestling of his career. And in fact, I want to try and do it with a match that uh, might get a ding in significance, as you hear me explain it, but should hopefully be better all around it. And that is from No Way Out 2000, Triple H versus Cactus Jack. And this is their Hell in a Cell match. Everyone talks about their match that they had at the Royal Rumble, but there was a pretty damn good follow-up at No Way Out in this Hell in a Cell match. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll see where we rate it. We'll put it through the science to determine if it is, in fact, classic. Danny, how do you feel about this? If Foley's on the podcast and we get to hear his promos, we get to see him at his peak, Triple H at his peak, it's got to be good. I think most people remember the Royal Rumble match, but this one was also praised immediately after. So I'd love to see this rematch of sorts and uh, see how it holds up. I think it's a great choice. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please, as always, like, subscribe, download, tell your friends, tell your mammy, tell my mammy, tell your pappy, tell my pappy, tell everybody you know. Let's grow the IAC Nation. Get some more IAC Maniacs listening to this pod. If you have a match that you want us to review that you think is a classic, email us at isitaclassicpod at gmail.com and tell us why, or hit us up on the gram at classic underscore pod. But that is it for us this week. Danny, any final words? Well, then I will leave all of you, as always, with this.